Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Service Chief and Section Head at Henry Ford Sleep Disorder Clinic, Mita Singh. Thanks for tuning in to episode 274 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I am bringing you Me To Sing, and this conversation came off the back of a recommendation from Fergus Connolly, who has appeared on the podcast twice before. So I was on the lookout for someone in the applied world, but also with a heavy emphasis on research, who could provide some really clear, practical information when it comes to sleep. So there's a lot of talk around optimizing sleep uh, in athletic populations and a lot of talk and research around that area. But what I don't see a lot of is really applied information of what people are actually doing out there in the field trying to optimize this in team sports. So Fergus mentioned that Mita could fit that bill and it def- she definitely, definitely does. Having a hand in her day job at the uh, Henry Ford Sleep Disorder Clinic, but also with uh, multiple um, team sport athletes and, and teams over there in the US. So a really, really interesting chat in Mita. So we chat about circadian rhythms, we chat about chronotypes, uh, different training times and how that affects sleep, game times and how that affects sleep. We discuss sleeping pills and how that may affect sleep quality, although um, improving sleep duration, all them kind of things that we chat about in this episode. So really, really excited to bring you this episode of Meter, which I'm sure you'll love. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. 
So without further ado, over to the episode with me to sing. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I am being welcomed by Meter Singh. So welcome to the podcast, Meter. Thank you for having me, Rob. It's an absolute pleasure. Before we go any further, I want to say a, a thank you to Fergus Connolly for making the introduction. Always love recommendation, and especially from people like Fergus. So um, yeah, before we get going, anyone that doesn't know who you are, traditional podcast fashion, do you want to give us a bit of a bit of info on your background? what you've done pre your current role and what you actually, what your pre, what your current role is. Okay. So I am a sleep medicine specialist. I, um, you know, just for my background, I did a psychiatry training. So I'm, I'm a, a physician. I'm a doctor. I did my psychiatry training at Mayo Clinic. Then I did a sleep medicine fellowship at the Henry Ford Hospital and have been in clinical practice since 2005. So I work, I have a clinical practice at the Henry Ford Sleep Disorder Center where I see patients of all ages with sleep disorders and I do some research. I'm affiliated with the Henry Ford, again, Sleep Research Center and our center is amongst the top rated uh, our top funded centers actually in in the country and we have our focus of research is the study of normal and abnormal sleep processes insomnia the effect of shift work long-term effects of sleep medication and the effects of various drugs and alcohol on sleep and and the reason you're interviewing me of course is i have an additional i have a niche practice advising and working with pro athletes and team with the goal of sleep optimization. And I also have a niche practice in which I see athletes with sleep disorders. Excellent. So I'm interested to know how the work in pro sport came around. Was that something that was planned? Was that just a, an evolution of the, the business? Well, I had been working with uh, the business people here. So I was working with, with, uh, execs in the motor in uh, the three uh, motor companies here in Detroit Michigan because I was helping them with jet lag and you know travel optimization when it comes came to sleep and then of course this is about six seven years ago one day I heard a so-called sleep expert you know about on the radio talking about the advice he was giving the local NFL team and I knew the team doctor who worked at the Henry Ford sleep, um, Henry Ford health system. So I gave him a call and I said, well, whatever this guy was saying is utter rubbish. So, so, <laughs> so, so he gave me, he said, well, do you want to come give us this presentation? And, uh, and that really, you know, that conversation really changed my life because, um, you know, I, I, uh, towards the end of that, the, that NFL season, I gave a presentation to, uh, the team. Uh, and and I started, you know, the, the the head coach then wanted me to work with the uh, the athletes, and then of course, you know, this is a very small world. When you start working with a local team, uh, people move around, and said, then I started working with the local major league baseball team, and people moved to different teams, and they asked me to come work with different. You know, it just it just took off. Excellent. Oh, that, sounds, that sounds good, and it sounds pretty pretty organic. Yes. Development in that in that area, which is I'm always interested to know how people come from that clinical setting into sport. So that's just a personal interest of mine. Well, I'll I'll, um, I'll tell you, Rob. If you asked me in 2000, 
if I thought I would be doing this, I would tell you absolutely no, because I, you know, it wasn't even on my radar at that time. In a positive way? Glad it's happened? Glad it's gone that way? Oh, it, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It's fantastic it's happened. Excellent. Well, let's let's dive into some of the, the points that we'd kind of prearranged and um, and thought would be interesting to the list to the listener. First off, a very general question, an easy question with not a particularly easy answer, and that is how much sleep should athletes be getting? Well, I think we should begin with what sleep does. So sleep allows for physical and mental recovery really providing recovery at the cellular level. And it does so by forcing reduced physical activity and reduced engagement of the brain with the environment. So this reduced physical activity allows for physical recovery to occur, while the reduced interaction of the brain with the environment allows mental recovery to occur. So so we know, in fact, in fact we know that the interaction of the brain with the environment allows mental recovery to occur because while you're asleep, your brain gets cleansed of waste material and it's akin to be being power washed. So, uh, so, so that's what sleep does. Now, as to your question, the average adult, we need about seven to nine hours of sleep, but athletes, we recommend nine to 10 hours. And these are based on sleep extension studies done in Stanford athletes that show that there's maximal alertness and improvement in athletic performance. And, and might I add, this is not new information. So studies done in Henry Ford uh, Research Center in the 80s showed that to be maximally alert, young adults needed 10 hours of sleep. I think you've you've actually interviewed Sherry Ma. Yes, absolutely. She, yeah. yeah. Quite well. Know she, what, yeah. Right, right. So she had done those studies done in, uh, which were done in basketball players, football, tennis, swimmers, etc., that showed that just by getting more sleep, they were performing well. And, and the number was nine to 10 hours. And that's what we recommend athletes get on a regular basis. So huge potential for a huge generalization um, in the answer, but how many, on average, how many hours do we think the average athlete is getting if nine or 10 is the recommendation? Well, so the on the average, I think it's about between six to seven on a good night. I, I'll tell you that, that answer is difficult to give because there are no studies done especially in pro athletes which which look uh, at how much sleep they're getting and and you know actually that's a project we're we're trying to get to do with the nba players here uh, and and for multiple reasons this is a difficult project to do because uh, because of privacy and because uh, because players you know they're, they're not sure why people want to gather this information um and so and so we really don't know the answer but i can tell you anecdotally having worked with different teams in different leagues it's really is different depending on the sports because their schedule is very different and so i would say on an average uh 6 to 7 and there's also a lot of irregularity and the irregularity plays into the sleep deprivation mm-hmm. 
which we'll discuss later on, uh -huh. which would be interesting. Right, so right. Next, next question which comes your way, and this is something we discussed offline as well. Circadian rhythms, can you explain what they are and why it's important for us to understand what they are to understand more in sleep science? Okay, so so if you if your audience has ever noticed that they tend to feel energized and drowsy around the same time every day, that's because you have your circadian rhythms to thank for. So to back up, let's start with some background. Your sleep, anybody's sleep, is regulated by two separate processes. One is your homeostatic drive, which is a fancy word to say it's the number of hours of sleep you've had prior. And the second thing is your circadian rhythm. So circadian rhythms are intrinsic timekeeping clocks that we have that regulates almost all physiological functions on a daily basis. So it's a it's a twenty on a twenty four hour basis. And so for human beings, the master circadian clock, it's located in your brain, and it's synchronized to your local environment by exposure to light as well as darkness. So think about, think of light as an alertness pill, while darkness allows your brain to secrete a hormone called melatonin that strengthens sleep physiology. So the, the key thing to remember is that in addition to your circadian master clock, we also have these local clocks in almost every cell in our body. So cell function is under control of um, the master clock as well, uh, which, which functions like a master conductor, coordinating the timing and function of all the other cellular clocks and uh, therefore all the functions in the body. And, uh, and when, because we are talking about sleep, it, it modulates sleepiness and alertness during a 24-hour period, period so that you're, um, so you're, when you wake up in the morning, you know, you become alert. There's a slight dip in the mid-afternoon, which is, I think it's mid-afternoon for you right now. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, right, right. Here. So, <laughs> right, right, right. So, so if you kind of doze off in the middle of my if our talk, it's it's less to do with the fact that I'm a boring sp uh, speaker, and it's it's more to do the, with the fact that you are you know you hit that mid afternoon post lunch dip in your alertness, and then of course alertness increases and and and. Alertness is minimal between two and five in the morning, and hopefully you're fast asleep at that time. So that's just just a short primer on circadian rhythms. Absolutely. So that's why when you would go through, and, and I went through a, um, an app called what was it? A website uh, called Jetlag Rooster when I was doing uh -huh. some, doing some recent uh, traveling to the states, actually. And so, th so this is why at some point in the day it will recommend that you are exposed to light or not exposed to light to try to facilitate Avoid. them. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yes, try to facilitate yes. them reactions. Yes. Very simply, the the most powerful way to shift your clock is either a strategic light exposure or light avoidance. And and so that's one thing, that's something that I do in which, you know, I, I, I'll write out your schedule and tell you exactly, according to your circadian rhythm, when you should be exposed to light and when you should be avoiding light if you're traveling in a certain direction. So that brings me on nicely to another question that I had, and, and this is not necessarily um, specific to you guys over in the States, but I suppose it affects you guys in terms of um, elite elite sport more than it does over here. Our guys are probably, 
I don't know, top three or four clubs in each sport will travel to, to Europe, but everyone else is within, a, within within driving distance, unlike you guys in the States. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. that brings me on to the question, why are athletes specifically affected by this lack of, by a lack of sleep? Okay, so, so first of all, every athlete, whether they're traveling, whether they're crossing time zones or not, are affected by a lack of sleep. So all your athletes, all of us, but for athletes, we are affected by a lack of sleep because, well, there's research that shows that poor sleep affects all aspects of peak performance. So, so you know, how it affects uh, of athletes, well, let's count the ways. Whether, so firstly, it slows you down. So it, it increases your reaction time. So it makes you slower, less accurate, it affects your decision-making capability. So, you know, it your prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for good decision-making, preferentially gets uh, impaired when you're when you're sleep-deprived, while your emotional brain becomes overactive. So you're making decisions which are over-emotional, and while while you ha- your judgment is impaired, it so it contributes to errors. It reduces the amount of growth hormone that's secreted. It decreases the amount of testosterone that is secreted. It, dec- it, it impairs the way your body impa- metabolizes glucose and, it, and increases the chances of developing injuries. So, so Rob, if you're, if you're slower, if you're less accurate, if you're making poor decisions, then the likelihood of you getting injured increases. So, so it actually affects every aspect of peak performance. Now, now, if you add circadian rhythms to the mix, that af- affects athletic performance in two ways. Firstly, because we know that all physiological functions that are essential to athletic performance, like muscle contractile strength, joint flexibility, dexterity, postural control, and postural balance, alertness, because we know that, that these functions have a circadian rhythm. So there's actually a time during the day when they tend to peak and which is typically in the late afternoon or early evening. And, and there's a time when they ebb. And so, so, uh, so, you know, even if you are staying in the local time zone and you're not traveling to and crossing time zones, but your game times are different. So you may have a day game one day, you may have an evening game the next day. That itself is affected by your circadian rhythms. And and so you're not going to be at your peak depending on when your game time is. And and so that's one. And then the second thing we know is that, you know, your muscle clock has a local clock. And this local clock with your circadian, the master clock, it regulates muscle cell function, including muscle growth, muscle repair, glucose metabolism, even even recruiting stem cells for differentiation and repair after injury. So that is why, um, uh, you know, your circadian rhythms can affect, affect athletic performance. Now, now, uh, hold on, hold on. L- let me just con- complete that thought. I just thought of something. Of course, of so course. your question. So, so now athletes, because they have varying game times and training times, and because they frequently travel, often ignore their clock because they often have to sleep when their biological clock is telling them to be awake. And they're often awake when their biological clock is telling them to be asleep. 
And, and so that is why sleep can affect their performance. And so, and if you add chronotypes to that mix, that complicates matters even worse. We're going to get onto chronotypes in a second. Uh-huh. I'd like to ask you a question on the back of that. And this is something that I've spoke to a couple of practitioners over here around. I don't know if it's something that's coming from uh, the European influence with European coaches, but the majority of our, especially lower league in football, fixtures are played at three o'clock on a Saturday. So what coaches have tried to implement on a Thursday and Friday specifically is training to be not at 10 o'clock in the morning, but at three o'clock in the afternoon to mimic the game time. Is that something that from a sleep point of view, from a performance point of view, is that something that you would recommend? Is that what, 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 implications could that have positive and and negative Uh, you know i would recommend that totally in fact i would say what is preventing them to live that life daily why are they doing why are they not doing that on monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday because that's how they're going to play on saturday and the reason for that is number one is regularity so you know if you are having your players uh, wake up early to be at a 10 a.m. practice, but then on a, another day you'll allow them to sleep in. Then you're you're introducing um, varying bedtimes, and that itself is not a good thing. The second thing is it's always to be recommended that you you try to uh, s- uh, simulate practice times because that's what helps you play better. You want to keep those circumstances the same down the road. So I'm guessing that the 10 o'clock start is just because the world starts work at 9 o'clock and therefore, well, we'll give them a bit of leeway because they're professional athletes and we don't want them getting up too early. So we'll go with 10. I'm guessing that's yes. that would be yes. a reason. And it's, you, know, you know, the worst thing that happens, uh, uh, the, the, the worst thing that, that prevents change is the old adage of this is how we've always done mm-hmm. it. And, and, you know, teams have always done this. For some reason, they want to start early in the morning and uh, because that's what how all the old-timers have always done it. And, uh, you know, your, your players, their schedules should be always tailored to the game time. I mean, we face this a lot in, say, the NBA and the um, National Hockey League, because most of the games are evening games. They're 7 p.m. games. So there's really no reason why they should come into, um, uh, you know, the, the uh, facility to start training at 8 or 9 in the morning. It makes no sense because typically they'd never get into bed till about 1 in the morning or 2 in the morning. So they, they should be allowed to sleep until about 10 or 11. And then you know, their day should be shifted so that they can do this on a regular basis and b- bring regularity that, to their lives. And, uh, you know, some of the teams have already implemented it and, you know, others are slowly uh, agreeing to it. Sometimes the pushback is from the players itself and the coaches because, uh, you know, they want to spend some time with their families on non-game days and they can do so in by being, you know, finishing their training and getting home on time on on game on non game days, and 
And but but even a shift of a couple of hours. So if instead instead of beginning at ten, you began at noon, even that would be even that would make a, a difference in the good in the positive direction. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I know, I know that is quite a bit of a discussion point over here. So it's it's good for you to to put give your input on there. So you mentioned chronotypes. What mm-hmm. are chronotypes, and what do we? Why do we need to know what they are? Well, I you know first of all. I, I think this should be really interesting to your audience because because chronotypes are just such unique and fun things. So a chronotype is your is a diurnal preference. It defines the time of day at which one feels at his or her best and when one feels sleepy and when one would prefer to start his or her day. And so one thing I'll tell you, it is genetically determined. Which that's why I always tell players that it doesn't really matter how far you, when you leave home, your parents still decide what time you go to bed because your bedtime is genetically determined, and and it is modified by age, environment, you know, activity. So so I think that your audience members would instinctively know whether they're night owls or morning larks, and and of course we do have simple clinical tools, and I, I remember I, I promised you that I'll send you the two links to the two questionnaires we can use. So, so chronotype is, uh, you know, is simply one's preference to either wake up early or, or late. And it's related to one's ability to stay up late at night or to go to bed early. And, and remember, this is more than just their ability to, uh, to chew uh, to what bedtime they prefer, because it's not just their sleeping patterns, but their physical performance, their hormones, their core body temperature, uh, you know, your cognitive faculties, all that will show this variation. And knowing this is important because uh, for athletes, peak performance, you know, as a whole, we know peak performance occurs at a certain time of the day, and which is typically late afternoon or early evening. But research shows that there's variability depending on your chronotype. So simply put, morning larks will peak earlier during the day, while night owls will peak later. And and this makes it really interesting from the performance point of view. For example, in Major League Baseball, we know that athletes, pitchers who are morning larks, pitch better during day games, while night owls pitch better during night games. And of course, of course, you want to align your peak performance, your biological peak performance time to your game time. And, and actually, this is some of the this is the focus of some of the work that I do with individual athletes in which we use that strategic light exposure and, and avoidance and scheduled sleep times and bedtimes uh, with a, to shift, you know, to shift your circadian rhythm. So the goal is to optimize performance. So, for instance, like you say, in the NBA, the majority of uh-huh. games are in the evening. If uh-huh. someone's a night owl, perfect, uh-huh. fantastic. But for them, morning larks, is there anything, any solutions that we can provide them specifically that will allow, that will, that will enhance performance or get them on par with the, with the night owls? That's a great question, Rob. So... Yes, there is. So the first thing, of course, is to ident- is to screen and actually identify whether you're a true night owl or a true morning person using questionnaires. And then once you have, you know, once we know where their circadian rhythm is, then strategic light helps. So in general, light at night 
will help you go to bed later and shift your clock to make you more of a night owl. Light in the morning will help you go to bed earlier and will make you a morning it will make you more of a morning person. And so so you know using this knowledge and using the knowledge of where their circadian clock is, where their sorry, where their circadian rhythm is is what we can use to help shift their clock in the direction that we want. So how malleable is that? Obviously, there's over here when there's there's teams having Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday schedules on a regular basis. Obviously, uh-huh. it's not going to be that malleable because it's, it's 40 hours in between games. But for them sports that are lucky enough to have one game a week, a Saturday to Saturday or a Sunday to Saturday, something like that. How specific can we get and how malleable is that for each individual game? So typically, uh, you know, it will, first of all, it takes a lot of discipline because, you, the, you know, although the way, you know, although overall it's, it's very simple However, because people's clocks are different and because the timing is really, really important, it is complex because light at the wrong time can shift your clock in the opposite direction of what you need. So, um, and so, so that's number one. Number two is that it is malleable uh, to, the, to the extent that if you use this in controlled circumstances you know you can easily it's easily achievable but it takes a lot of discipline now i you know before i answer the rest of the question i need some more uh, um i need a further clarification of your question itself so when you say tuesday to saturday do the game timings differ um yes they would so tuesday would typically be like a half past seven or eight o'clock kickoff Uh uh-huh whatever sport that may be uh-huh. and then a saturday would typically be three o'clock mid-afternoon or maybe okay. even earlier potentially okay so i would say that if your games were at three o'clock at versus 7 p.m that would be pretty simple to do because there's not much it's not as if you have a 7 a.m game versus a 7 p.m game there's not much of a difference and you one could come up with a schedule you know, looking, taking into into account uh, their training times, etc., which would fit, which would not have that much variation, and would still allow for both the games to occur. It would mean, however, delaying start times for for both days. So you know, not because after the seven p.m. game, I promise you, your players will are probably probably not sleeping till about one or two in the morning, anyways. Right. And some of them might not sleep at all. And so you would have to, you know, you, I would say one would pre- prepare for this schedule as if they were preparing for a 7 p.m. schedule all the time. And you, your, your 3 p.m. game would still not suffer. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Mita. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we discuss sleeping tablets, sleeping pills, and the effect that can have on sleep quality, sleep duration, um, allowing someone to go to sleep. Uh, And then we also discussed technology to track uh, duration and quality of sleep. So really interesting part two coming up, which hopefully you'll enjoy as much as part one.
This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kangatech. So born out of 10 years of research and development, Kangatech is the world's most advanced injury prevention platform. So most recently, Kangatech has released its KT360 testing and training platform, which consists of a portable and adaptable, easy to use fixed frame dynamometry system that allows accurate and reliable measurement of isolated neuromuscular strength, endurance and control. Advanced software analytics allow sport-specific athlete profiling to understand injury risk and guide prescription of appropriate intervention. Kangatech has developed over 35 isometric and eccentric testing and training protocols spanned across the whole body. With KT360, you can test one muscle group bilaterally, and that can be done in under 30 seconds with real-time biofeedback and immediate automated reporting designed to motivate the athlete and inform staff of outcomes instantaneously. To find out more about Kangatech, email how at kangatech.com, visit the website at kangatech.com, or check them out on Twitter at kanga underscore tech. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive, at-rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. OmegaWave also measures ECG from the V6 position, and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our Windows of Trainability concept. OmegaWave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website, omegawave.com, or visit their social media channels. Um, so let's let that little chat about the other practical uh, implications for working in pro sport. And that's obviously travel, as we've, as we've, uh, as we've discussed. But that is, also encompasses hotels also encompasses different beds, different rooms, different potential roommates if you're, you know, sleeping with a um in the same room as a as a fellow member of the team. So all these kind of things come into play when athletes are at home versus uh-huh. athletes when they're away. Mm-hmm. So what what implications can that have on can that have on performance? Well, so you know, I specifically when it comes to hotel, sleeping in hotels, I'll tell you there is something called the first night effect, which is basically we and we, in sleep science we know that when people are spending um, the uh, the first night in a foreign place, in a different place, at a different environment, they are less likely to sleep well, and not all. At not it doesn't happen to everybody it happens to a few people and so if you're predisposed to having that then you're always going to sleep poorly especially when you first go when you sleep in a different place the second thing of course is that uh, in contrast there are also some people will say they actually sleep better when they're traveling because they have less distractions you know when they're social and family distractions when they have when they are sleeping at home versus when they're tra- uh, traveling uh, and and they're traveling and they're uh, they're going um, to a different place so it really depends 
on you know on on individuals um what they what you know whether they they have issues with sleeping in foreign places or different environments or not so would that would you get to know that just from experience or is the some kind of subjective anything subjective we could do beforehand to get to know where these guys are or girls well so so overall overall there are some people who have a predisposition to sleeping poorly so what we've been discussing so far you know has been um sleep deprivation in which we're talking about how sleep athletes are just not getting enough time in bed but insomnia which is another which is another phenomenon that happens uh, to your sleep is difficulty initiating and maintaining sleep or non refreshing sleep despite opportunity to uh, to do so and um and this is important to differentiate from from sleep deprivation i know we were talking about this earlier so you know and i can give you an example so sleep deprivation is when you don't get enough time in bed so for example if i went to bed at one o'clock because my flight got in at at um you know midnight and i had to be awake at six because i was going to speak to you that would be sleep deprivation because i didn't get enough time in bed if however i got into bed at my regular 10 pm bedtime but i lay awake because i was stressed out about talking to you rob <laughs> and 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 i couldn't i couldn't fall asleep and i was you know worrying about not about our first about our interview and then i started worrying about the fact i wasn't sleeping and that made me even more anxious and you know it kept me awake further that is insomnia uh, or difficulty sleeping and so um So, so so insomnia and sleep deprivation are two different things now now athletes before we dis- before we we talk about how to identify these athletes who have uh poor sleep let's you know there we, we have to we have to acknowledge the fact that there are multiple reasons why athletes have difficulty sleeping whether it's anxiety prior to a competition or if if it's after a game so it could be the hyper arousal that is associated with the game itself so you know once you're done with the game your body temperature is increased there's increased adrenaline the you know athletes will take caffeine that is still in their system there's increasing circulating levels of cortisol there are muscle aches and aches and pains there's bright light and excitement all the things that actually help you while you're on the field make it more difficult for you to wind down and fall asleep once you get into bed and and whether it's the stress after losing a game or it's the excitement after winning the game uh, all these things will contribute to difficulty sleeping after the game and and so so you know now coming back to your question of whether we can identify or screen people who we know are predisposed to developing insomnia symptoms or difficulty sleeping when they are say in a hotel room or in strange environments well there is there is research especially in the in insomnia population and we know that there there are some people who are more predisposition predisposed to developing sleep issues when they're exposed to stress and they don't have to have insomnia rob so 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 let me back up and tell you so so in you know there you really can divide the world into two kind of people those who will whose sleep will guess will deteriorate 
when they are stressed and others will, who will have no problems with their sleep if they are stressed out. And it is these this um, you know, former group of people who who will say that once they, if they have any sort of stress, their sleep will deteriorate. They have a higher sleep reactivity. And it's these, if you can identify these people, then we can um, screen for them and set up, you know, work, uh, help them uh, so that they can develop coping skills that will help them tolerate any sort of stress and that will help preserve their sleep whether they're sleeping in a new environment if they're whether it's because they're stressed out before a game etc so uh, so yes so we can identify these players excellent so can these two things coexist so sleep deprivation and insomnia can they go together they absolutely can yes they can so in pro sports they often do so uh, so for example uh, if you know the schedule of the pro sports, you know, the schedule itself lends to sleep deprivation, you know, so I'll give you an example. They play a night game, which begins at, at 7 PM. They're done, you know, in two and a half to three hours. Then they have a press conference. Then they have to pack up and then they travel to the next city and they may not get to a hotel room till about three or four in the morning and they may have a game the very next day. So obviously they're not going to get enough sleep. So they are sleep deprived. But then you take into that mix that one player or some players who have difficulty uh, falling asleep in a strange hotel room. Right. And so these players will also have insomnia. So despite, you know, not not just <clears throat> not just is there less time to sleep, but also there they have this irregularity has now um, has, has caused them to have difficulty sleeping. And <clears throat> sorry. So so think about how we talked about one player who has a higher sleep reactivity, which means that they have poor sleep uh, if stressed out versus another player who has who doesn't have high sleep reactivity. So if you had, say, two rookies coming into the NBA, well, the irregularity of their schedule in one uh, rookie would cause uh, significant sleep issues in which they would have insomnia on top of the sleep deprivation, while the other rookie who did not have a high sleep reactivity would, you know, have some issues at the very beginning, but then they would sort of settle down. And you, and if one could identify that rookie early on, we could build a sleep program that would help specifically this population of athletes which slept poorly. So one thing, and this is not something that I've dabbled with myself, but I'm guessing that there's one strategy to to um, to help with sleep deprivation um, is sleeping pills. So is this something that you would advocate in certain uh, in certain populations, in certain athletes, or is there potential other potential implications that that could lead to? Okay, so Rob, firstly. You you know, uh, there is no reason to take a sleeping pill for sleep deprivation. So I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I didn't clarify that earlier. So sleep deprivation is not getting enough time in bed. You really don't need a sleeping pill for that. 
it's the insomnia that you need. Yes, a I understand. Pill for. I understand. Yeah. Right. So, so uh, you know, because the reasons are complex, uh, you know, we 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 really don't know why athletes are specifically taking sleeping pills. Uh, most likely, they're trying to treat that hyper arousal I was talking about, about that pre and post game anxiety. That you know, or or they're trying to fall asleep at a bedtime that is not in alignment in, in alignment to their circadian uh, bedtime. I'll give you an example. So when the local NFL team from here travels to London to play their local game, they now have to fall asleep six hours before their lo- what their regular bedtime is. Well, they're going to need a sleeping pill for that, right? I mean, it's, it's almost, unless you put in jet lag, um, um, management they will have to take a pill to sleep or you know that that group of players we were just talking about who would have difficulty sleeping in a hotel room well they may be needing using a sleeping pill for them to fall asleep or or because now athletes know that sleep is essential for performance they may take pills because they think the sleep uh, will help in performance enhancement the next day, and and so um, and I, I'll tell you, having worked with the leagues for some time, there's actually a pattern that yeah, that starts to emerge. So so I'll tell you, if you speak to Major League Baseball team physicians, they will say that Major League Baseball they ask for sleeping pills when they have a day game before a night game because in a during a day game. Um, when there's a day game the next day, they the players have to fall asleep earlier. You know, for for um, the NFL player, they will take a pill uh, because they go out on Thursday night and Friday or Saturday before the game is when they take a pill because they want to get enough sleep before uh, the actual game. And and again. You know, we're, I, I'm, I'm saying this, that we know this through anecdotal data from experience, but we don't have any research studies. So there are no studies out there that have collected this data of how often they take sleeping pills. And so... Oh, oh God, yeah, sorry, go sorry, sorry, No, no, no. So go ahead. Go ahead. I was, I was just going to... No, no, I was yeah. just going to... I was just going to say, for the sleep quality, how, uh-huh. is that, how is that affected by uh, not falling asleep naturally versus... Uh, taking a sleeping pill well a sleeping pill is sedation it definitely affects the quality of sleep and um, you know we know that certain classes of sleeping pills will preferentially suppress certain brain waves all of which you know all these brain waves are um, you know, have a certain function in sleep. So definitely the quality that of sleep you get on a sleeping pill is not the same that you get, uh, that natural sleep will give. Mm-hmm. Cool. So one of the last couple of things that I wanted to chat to you about, and the first one was something that I tried to Shona Halson about, uh, I don't know, maybe six, nine, 12 months ago now. And this was methods to measure sleep quality and the issues with the plethora of, of devices that are out there that have questionable validity and reliability and what options we have um, as sports scientists and then conditioning coach or sleep scientists 
to uh, to administer them with our athletes? Well, I, I know Shona really well, well, and I I'm, I'm pretty sure that her opinion and my opinion are quite uh, you know are on the same page. Um, I think you know measuring sleep uh, is or screening athletes by using using methods to to measure their sleep is essential because we need that information. The problem is is that there is a glut in the market with devices that measure sleep and and um, you know there's there there are devices that they say they measure sleep stages. They talk about the quality of sleep and the data sometimes does not match the high budget marketing hype. So whenever you know, if I can tell, um, uh, you know, team managers or uh, coaches, if they want to measure, if they want to collect data, you always want to begin with a scientific, scientific question. I mean, what question are you trying to answer by collecting data? And when it comes to what we have right now in the market, the best that they are validated for is total sleep time. And that too, of course, depends on the variable. But and and the one thing they're not accurate in is measuring sleep in people who have insomnia symptoms. So I would say that the benefit of what uh, is on the market right now is really to measure overall trends. Uh, and they're really not much more superior than handwritten sleep diaries, which actually give much more information about athletes, um, especially their self-perception about sleep issues. In fact, Shauna and I were on a panel together um, at the World Sleep Conference in Vancouver earlier this uh, year, and I know that she showed information, and, and you know she was talking about the data she had collected, and they were all sleep diaries, by the way, handwritten sleep diaries. And 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 I'll, I'll the other thing I'll say is because these wearables do not make a determination of what is causing poor or inadequate sleep. They can't give you solutions. So sometimes you have to be careful about not being overly reliant on um, the data you get from uh, this technology. So if there was practitioners out there who weren't in a, a group that would be able to administer um, quality sleep questionnaires and sleep questionnaire results, is there any recommendation that you would have in terms of technology? What brands are doing better than others? I don't want to put you on the spot there and align you with someone no, no. you don't want to be aligned with. No. But have you got any recommendations? No, no, no. Yes. Well, I will tell you that there was a recent paper that came out from the University of Michigan, look, which was validating the data collected by the new Apple uh I think it was the latest watch. I think it's five, system five, you know, and it was pretty good. So, you know, and Apple that, you know, for, for, if you want a recommendation, I know that uh, does work. There is a group called fatigue science based out of Canada. And, and what I love about that group is that they, they're not overhyping, not promising you, uh, things that they can't really deliver, and everything else I would say take with a grain of salt, you know, because you don't know what's out there. But I think that if you were looking to get research grade or you were trying to get um, information, then the Apple Watch, the latest Apple Watch, is what you would go with. Um, one more thing: if your if your athletes or if your teams are looking to collect, you know, 
overall, looking at overall trends of how much sleep they're getting, they could use some of the, um, uh, you know, whatever is available out there, knowing with, with the knowledge that uh, you it's not very accurate, especially if you're looking at, you know, if you're going to look at it and say, well, I got this much REM sleep or I got this much deep sleep, which I promise you it's not telling you. <laughs> I'll tell my wife because she gets embroiled, yeah. embroiled in that daily. Yes, yes. Well, that's another podcast we should definitely do. Yes, 100%. I tell her this and she's, yeah, but the watch says. The number's there. Like, <laughs> mm, yeah, okay. We'll leave that for now. Well, well, Rob, uh, you know, the bottom line is you don't really need a watch to tell you how much you've slept. You already know that. Yeah. You know how much sleep you've got. Of course. So, yeah, definitely a second podcast on that front. But yes. just, just to just to finish off, and one last question, I think it'll be a, a, um, a really interesting one to finish off with, and that's your vision of how all this information, the sleep, kind of sleep science part of the the performance uh elite performance industry is integrated into the wider the wider program integrating with the medical with the sports science with the coaches what's your view on that and how you see that moving forward well firstly you know i know that when i speak about optimizing sleep with the goal of optimizing performance in any organization i i'm telling you optimizing performance is only the primary goal objective you know, if you bring sleep health into any organization, it acts like a Trojan horse. There are multiple secondary benefits. It improves your overall mental and physical health, improves sexual health, improves emotional regulation, improves improves your communication skills, your relationships. In fact, there's a, there. I would challenge you to find any area that will not improve by improving sleep. Now, having said that, I believe that we have to provide you know, scientific education at to uh, the the field of sports at large, um, at at you know to the coaches, to the players, and and that education has to be interesting. It has to be understandable, and um, and you know I think there should be special. In my vision, it should be there should be a special focus on college as well as student athletes, high school athletes, um, especially because it prevents burnout. And we must educate coaches, athletic trainers, team doctors, because they're at the front line. And, you know, my vision is to not just do it at the beginning of the season, but to provide uh, milestones, to provide, uh, uh, I would say, all through the season so that your athletes are compelled to follow a program that allows them to uh, structure and maintain their sleep all through the season. Excellent. Lovely. Well, anyone that wants to get some more information on you, your upcoming work, your previous work, previous presentations, or just ask you some questions on what we've discussed, where's the best place to, um, to get hold of you? Well, I would say I have a website. It's called metasingmd.com. I am available on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at athletesleepmd1. And uh, I am on LinkedIn, uh, Meta Sing. 
and you know, I can send you links for all of them. I, I have given, you know, I have, uh, um, done presentations all over and some of them are online. So if you went to YouTube, I spoke at the MIT Sloan sports analytic meeting, uh, twice in the last three, four years. And if you typed it, the sleep and, and athletic performance in it would probably come up and, um, uh, yeah, that's that's where I sh- I should be. Excellent. Yeah, put your name into Google. I always like doing that. It's quite interesting what appears. Um, and that uh, was that was the <laughs> not in a bad way, not in a weird creepy way, but um, well, that, no. that was one of the top ones was the was the MIT Sloan conference, so people can get access. Yes, to that quite easily. Yeah, I have to tell you, Rob, that I thought I was so nervous while I was giving that presentation, but now when I look at it, uh, it's you know I. I I don't know if you can see it, but I was nervous like hell. <laughs> no, no, no. It comes across really well. Was it, was it, was it, is it 20 minutes, 15 minutes? Or is it a long It's a, it, it's a 30 minutes. If you've not minutes. noticed, I, I have a tendency to ramble a lot. <laughs> don't worry about that. Now, well, thank you very much for, uh, for coming on. I really appreciate you giving up your time. I know it's, uh, it, this is the last one of the last one of 2019 for me. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Rob, I appreciate you giving me a platform. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And we'll keep in touch, absolutely. Absolutely. Speak soon. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to episode 274 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Mita. So as always, big thanks to Mita for coming on and sharing her wisdom and expertise when it comes to everything sleep. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Kangatech and Omega Wave for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys, so if you are interested in any of their products, make sure you check them out. So thanks again for tuning in, thanks again for your constant support, and I look forward to bringing you another guest next week.